You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Relentless. Jesus broke all protocol in speaking to a woman that he met at a well outside of town. This woman had no idea that she was encountering the Son of God, and from that moment, her life changed. Well, good morning, everybody, once again. Uh, I want to reintroduce myself. My name is Travis, and I have the awesome privilege to serve as the lead pastor and teaching pastor here at Covenant. I'm going to ask if you would to open up your Bibles or direct your eyes to the screen if you're joining us on video or podcast. Don't do either one of those things. Just focus on the road and listen as we read. We're going to read through the book of John, John chapter 4, and kind of, I would say, a semi-famous passage. Jesus has an encounter with a woman, and, and we, we, are, we know her as the woman at the well. How many of us have heard this passage before, read through this passage before? Kind of a famous passage. Um, and starting in verse 3, we're going to pick up there. It says this, He, being Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, did you notice that right there real quick? Jesus actually got tired. I know a lot of us have this perception of Jesus like he was um, not human, and, and that's partially true. Jesus Christ was fully God, and he was also fully human, but the fully human half of him got hungry. The fully human half of him got tired, and according to this passage, the fully human portion of Jesus Christ was weary from traveling. It says, wearied, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, watch this now. This is a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. I added the hay in there. I don't know if you know that or not. Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, the Samaritan woman said to him, uh, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Loaded question. If you've read this passage or you know this text at all, you know that Jews and Samarians, Samaritans did not really get along at all. They did not get along whatsoever. And, and it was very uh, anti-cultural for a man to speak to a woman in that way unless you knew this woman or their family. And so Jesus is really going against the grain here, and he's kind of shattering all stereotypes, and he's doing both things. He's speaking to this woman that he does not know, that she does not know him, and he, he's also a Jew, and she is from Samaria. So the fact of the matter is she's a little taken aback. She's a little shocked, like, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a little taken aback here. And it says here, Jesus answered her in verse 10. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This kind of piques the lady's interest in verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is very deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's a good passage, isn't it? That's a good verse for us, and it's something that should awaken us a little bit on a Sunday morning, even though we've just experienced literally people raised from the dead, brought from death to life. Um, maybe this passage could give us a little bit of energy as well. It says, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the, water, and, and the woman said to him, I love this, sir, give me this water. I love that. Where is this? I need to have this. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We're in the middle of this series. Actually, this is the final week, not the middle. This is the final week of the series, Relentless, where we've been using this phrase that because Jesus pursued us relentlessly, then we should pursue others relentlessly. Jesus has been relentless in his pursuit of us. Has Jesus not relentlessly pursued you? And when you were lost, when you didn't know him, when you were far from him, did Jesus not relentlessly pursue you? I know he pursued me. I know he continues to pursue me, even in, my, even in my darkness and even in my failures. He continues to pursue me and love me. And so because Jesus has been relentless in his pursuit of us, we should in turn be relentless in our pursuit of others. And I love reading this passage about Jesus because this is a straight gospel interaction. This is a straight witnessing opportunity. We call that evangelism. Turn to your neighbor and say evangelism. Now, for some reason, we have a bad understanding of evangelism. One of the greatest evangelists to ever live just passed away just a couple weeks ago, Billy Graham, and his legacy and his life was quite amazing. They would say that he affected millions and millions of people for the gospel. I remember growing up and watching these crusades on TV in black and white. I was at my grandparents' house, and it was a little tiny TV, right? And I remember seeing him on TV shouting and, and, and yelling and waving his Bible and, and thousands of people coming up, and that really shaped my understanding of evangelism. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, that's how we view evangelism as well. We view evangelism purely as uh, uh, maybe an arena or a, a speaker and a bunch of people coming to the front to raise their hand to accept Jesus. I think that is the predominant view of evangelism within American culture. But the fact of the matter is when you look at Jesus and his many interactions, evangelism looks quite different. Would you agree? Jesus has an evangelistic conversation with this woman. And I want to take note just very briefly today, very briefly today. I want us to take note of how Jesus goes about evangelism. Jesus did three key, key things here that I want us to take note of. In fact, if you are taking notes, and I would highly recommend that you do, we're a church that worships not only in spirit, but also in, in truth. We're going to take those and jump into our Sea Life groups this week. We're going to learn and grow in discipleship and relationships. So I would, I would take those notes. Here's the first thing I would write down. Number one, when it comes to evangelism, Jesus took a seemingly natural encounter and he turned it into a supernatural encounter. Jesus took a seemingly natural encounter and he turned it into a supernatural encounter. How many of us know that supernatural encounters tend to come at the most inconvenient times? Have you noticed that? A, a couple weeks ago, uh, actually two months ago, not a couple weeks ago, two months ago, on a Sunday morning, true story, I want to share this with you, horrible story, but true story. I was driving to church, and it was on one of the mornings when it was so cold and icy. You're like, which one? It's been like that for like three and a half years straight. Okay, I know. But it was really cold. It was really icy. Snow is on the ground. I'm driving my car, and all of a sudden, on the back roads of Orient, my car died 100%. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. There's snow everywhere, and I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I can't call my wife because she will straight kill me right now, number one. 
Um, I don't want to call my friends because they'll just make fun of me. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I jump out of my car, this truck, and I start pushing it, thinking that if I can just get to a gas station, maybe they can tell me what's wrong. And so I jump out of the car, and I start pushing my truck, and I actually took video footage, which I'm not showing you today, but I actually did this to show to my wife and to prove that if I got hit and died, like that's what had happened. Like this is how I went out. Like I'm on the middle of the road, and I'm pushing this car. And all of a sudden, this guy pulls up behind me. He's an older farmer. I didn't know him. And he's in a minivan. He jumps out and he says, hey there, son. He's like, uh, could you use a little help? What happened there? Did you run out of gas? And I was like, no, I didn't run out of gas. I'm just trying to, I don't know, something happened to my truck. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And he said, well, how about I push you? And I said, that sounds great. And so he gets behind me, starts pushing me. He's like, well, this gas station's pretty far. I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to make it today. How about I just get in my van and I just kind of bump you along the way? And I was like, that sounds like an amazing idea. Um, let's do that. And so this man got behind me and just pushed his minivan against my truck all the way to a gas station. Come to find out my truck ran out of gas. Anyway, that's a different story. Um, so I am, at this point in time, it's 8.15. I'm preaching in just about an hour from then. I, I needed to be at church. And so I walk out. I'm like, thank you so much, sir. And he's like, no problem. And I'm getting in my car. And he says, hey, can I ask you a question? Where are you going? And I was like, no this is not happening. I can't talk to you right now. I've got to go preach. It's really important. I do important things with important people, and I've got to go there. And, and I said, well, well, actually, and I got out of my truck, and I said, I, I'm a pastor, and, and so Sundays are kind of a big deal. You know, it's the one day of the week that we work, and so I got to go, and, and you've been saying it under your breath for years. I just vocalized it. <laughs> I said, I got to get to church. I got to do my job, and um. He's like, well, tell me about your church a little bit. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, he did like bumper car you all the way here in his minivan. So, and I sat down and I started talking with him and he continued to ask questions. And then he said, now, what's the difference with your church and, and this church? And, oh, you know, I always thought that Jesus was this and this. And in the end, I ended up sharing the gospel with this man in a gas station on the back of Orient at 845 in the morning when I should have been here. Every single encounter that we have has the opportunity to become a supernatural encounter. Every single one of them. And I gotta tell you, most of them are gonna be inconvenient. Most of them are gonna be very inconvenient. But the question comes down to this. What are you put here to do? What are you placed on this earth to do to bring God glory and to seek and save the lost, to go out and find people who are far from Jesus? In this passage, Jesus is, is, is really taking this encounter and turning it into a supernatural one. He's just thirsty. He's tired. He's worn out. And he sees this woman and he thinks this could be a supernatural encounter. Point number two. Point number two. Jesus took a seemingly normal conversation and turned it into a gospel conversation. Jesus took a seemingly normal conversation and he straight turned it into a gospel conversation. I wonder in your everyday run-of-the-mill conversations that you have with maybe your family, your coworkers, at school, your teachers, are you looking for opportunities to turn your normal conversation into a gospel conversation? What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like this. Uh, pastor David, our, our Sea Life pastor, was telling me about an analogy that he used in their student Sea Life last week. It was so good I had to steal it because it's so true. 
He was talking with our students, and he said, hey, do you know those clingy couples in junior high and high school? And and do you remember those, by the way? I can go back there. I I remember the couples in high school that, like, they were like Siamese twins. They were so close. They would walk the hallways, like, like, suctioned together, and you're like, you know, like, they would share one piece of corn. Like, they would eat that side, and they would eat... It was just disgusting. It was the grossest thing ever, especially when you were lonely and overweight. Anyway, um, which a lot of people were at that time. I don't know who that would be, but anyway, that's not my point. Um, yeah, and so you, if you ever happen to get them separated, like if one of them had to use the restroom and for, man, uh, for like five minutes if they were away, if you would ask them a question, they would always answer it through the, through the vein of their girlfriend or boyfriend. Do you know what I'm talking about? You'd be like, hey, man, are you trying out for football this year? Well, I was talking to Cynthia, and Cynthia said that I should probably, no, 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 I don't care about your girlfriend. I'm asking, like, you, we're in a bathroom. Please don't talk about your girlfriend, right? Like, or if you talk with her, you're like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good. You know, I was walking through the hallway, and I, I saw a locker, and it reminded me of Matthew. You know, Matthew's my boyfriend, and, and there's lockers around the hallway when Matthew and I walk. You cannot talk to them without them talking about their significant Siamese partner. You know what I'm talking about? You can't do it. Why? Because they're always, in a bad way, but always at the forefront of their mind. Man, I wonder, in our walk with Christ, and the conversations that we have, and the interactions that take place, is Jesus Christ always at the forefront of our minds? We should be not only willing, but looking for opportunities to take every conversation, to turn it into a gospel conversation. Every single conversation, steering it towards Jesus Christ. No matter how strange the conversation may be, no matter what topic the conversation has to do with, it could be about movies, it could be about sports, it could be a tragedy, it could be a joyful moment, but all conversations should be steered towards a gospel conversation. You're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I really, I really don't know how to, how to figure that out or how to go about that. And it's simple. Tell your story. If I could tell you to do anything in personal evangelism, it's this. Tell your story. See, so many of us, we get so scared to open the Bible and, and, and read the Bible to somebody like, well, what if they ask me a question I don't know? Or what if they ask me to quote Genesis? And I'm like, I don't know, you know? Or what if they ask me and I just don't know? Or what if they disagree? Here's something for you. Something that nobody can really challenge or take from you the change that Jesus has made in your life. Share your story. What is it that Jesus has done in your life? What is the change that has taken place since you met Christ? For this woman, look at this in in verse 28. Look at her reaction after she meets Jesus. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to everyone, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. In other words, when she says, can this be the Christ? She said, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the Savior? Can this be the one who has been foretold for so long? See, after she encountered Jesus, after she had a real encounter with Jesus, she could not help but turn conversations into gospel conversations. She could not help it. It just came out. Last week we talked about this leprous man who was healed by Jesus. And Jesus is like, listen, man. I really don't want you to tell anybody about this. I'm really not ready for that yet. I'd really just like take a break here in town and relax. And the leper's like, you got it. Hey, everybody, this is Jesus. Like he doesn't even like, listen, why? Because he can't contain it. 
Because the good news of Jesus Christ is so good that you cannot keep it to yourself. The good saving nature of Jesus Christ is so amazing that, that, you actually, that we actually should feel awful if we're holding it to, keeping it back for ourselves. Which begs the question, hang tight with me, begs the question, why is it that so little of us actually talk about Jesus Christ? If statistics are true, which hopefully they are, statistically speaking, 90 to 95% of everyone who is a professing Christian will never Share their faith with anyone. I'm not trying to be epic, but that is horrible. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but that should wake us up. What would our culture look like if maybe we could add an extra or minus an extra 10 or 20% of that? What would would our culture look like if just our church alone and and just some of the churches in Columbus, great churches here, if, if we would just start telling people about Jesus, if we would just start taking natural encounters and turning them into supernatural encounters, if we would just take normal conversations and shifting them to gospel conversations, what would change? And I would say, man, everything, everything. How can we have the truth of Jesus Christ and the good news and hold it back to ourselves? But there's a third aspect here that I think is vital in understanding Jesus's form of evangelism, and it's this. Number three, Jesus took a seemingly broken person and offered hope, not judgment. Oh, man, that's so good. Jesus took a seemingly broken person and offered hope, not judgment. See, what you'll read in your Sea Life group this week, or if you open up this passage, is that this, Jesus asks this woman to go get her husband, and, and she said, oh, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, that's right, you have like 15 husbands. <laughs> and, and, and knowing the culture in the day, that woman could have been killed for that. That woman could have been stoned. And yet Jesus doesn't offer her judgment. He offers her what? Hope. In our culture, in our day, in our time, the people that are around you, the people that are far from Christ, they don't, they don't need your judgment. They need your hope. They don't need your damnation. They need your savior. They don't need you to wag a finger in their face and preach at them and tell them why they're wrong. You need to be, spend time with them, build a relationship, and point to why Jesus is right. People in our world need hope. And you say, well, yeah, but I gotta, I gotta stand for truth and I gotta tell people why they're wrong. No, you just need to tell people about Jesus. You just need to, to talk about Jesus. That's what you're called to do. Tell people about Jesus. Allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to shape and shift people's hearts and their minds. You're like, no, 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 I, I gotta get them right before they, no, 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 you need to tell them about Jesus. That's your only job. That's your only job. Let Jesus manage the rest. He's in management. You're in sales. That's it. Don't worry about it. If we would just do this, maybe the reputation in the Christian community would shift. If we would just do this one thing, offer hope, more hope than judgment, maybe people would be willing to open up about their private sin, their private struggle. And what we do, rather, is we point out and we judge and we ostracize entire people groups, tell them that we're not well, they're not welcome in our churches, 
in our homes, in our lives. But scripture calls us to do something different. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Hang with me through this text. It says, for the love of Christ, what's that word? Say that one more time. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. And those that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's speaking of Jesus. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Man, I wish you would make some noise on that verse because it's so powerful. It's the difference between death and life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to me, church. Before the world is converted to a lifestyle devoted to Jesus Christ, the church must be devoted to a lifestyle devoted to Christ. We are to be ambassadors, but we are also to be a picture of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, in your personal relationships, are you a picture of Jesus Christ? Are you doing Jesus Christ justice? The words that you say. And not just the public words. Can I address that real quick, Christian families? How about the, the words that we say behind our own front doors? Those words, spoken softly in jest and jokes, and quiet tones to our closest family members need to be just as Christ-like as the ones that we speak outside our front doors. Because that's who Christ was. Authentic, true, honest, real, integrity, character, hope-filled, and life-giving. We are called to do the same. And I would also say this. We need Vitally, listen to me now. I'm gonna close with this. We vitally need to rediscover the Jesus of Scripture. Not the Jesus of our day. Not the Jesus of our culture. Not the Jesus of different denominations or the Jesus of different societies. No, the Jesus of Scripture who offers hope, who offers more hope than judgment who goes to people that are so far from him and befriends them and loves them without agenda. We need to rediscover that Jesus. See, my fear is that we've fallen in love with a Jesus that doesn't exist. My fear is, is that we as a Christian nation or a post-Christian nation, we have fallen in love with a Jesus who offers us money and peace and hope and rest and comfort and lollipops and everything else that we all love so much. But the Jesus of Scripture never stops pursuing 
those who are the farthest from him. In your own life, let me ask you, are you relentless in pursuing people far from Christ? I prayed this last week, and I'm going to do this again. I'm going to pray that God would ignite a new passion inside of you, that the Holy Spirit would ignite a new fire inside of you, not to build a church or grow an organization, not to even feel good about yourself. No, ignite a passion inside of you to see people far from Jesus come near to him, that he would give you a passion for lost people and that he would give you a compassion for people far from Christ. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for us as a church. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.